When I was a, a very young man, um, many, many moons ago, I had the opportunity to travel with a music group that traveled all over the United States and Canada. And uh, we did about eight concerts a week. It was a Christian group, so we, we performed primarily in churches all over the country. And, and our rhythm kind of went like this. We would get up in the morning, we'd drive to our destination, we'd unload all of our musical equipment, set up, they'd usually have a meal for us at the church, and then we would do a concert, and then after the concert was over, they would send us home, everybody in the band would go home, typically, into the homes of people in the church. Most of the time where we were traveling, they didn't have enough money to put the whole band up in a hotel, so we, we got to know people all over the country by staying in their homes. And sometimes we would stay in a home that had a beautiful, welcoming guest room. Sometimes we would stay in homes where the only extra bed was a bunk bed in a kid's room, and so we got to hang out with kids. And, and we just had a, a good time, and there was all kinds of people and experiences that we met. But there's one home that has stood out in my memory all these years later. We were traveling through Texas, and we were in the oil fields of Texas. How many of you have been down in that part of the country where you can just see the, the oil rigs for miles like this picture shows you? And we, we performed in a, in a tiny little Nazarene church in the oil fields of Texas, and I, I remember this particular place very specifically because when the concert was over and they were sending us home to our host home, they said, all of you, the whole band was going to stay with this one guy. And that was really pretty unusual because that, that's a pretty large order to fill. But our host grabbed us and he said, just follow me, I'll take you to my house. I remember particularly he was dressed very nice suit and tie. He just looked like a man of means, you know what I mean? And, and we got to his house. We pulled down this long driveway. And as we're approaching this house, we can see we're going to stay the night in a mansion. We walked into this home, and the first thing I can remember seeing was this expansive living room. Back in the 80s, man, sunken living rooms were the thing. You remember when they, they did that? And, and this was a sunken living room. Everything, every stick of furniture, the walls, everything was white. There was a white grand piano down in the middle of this sunken living room. I mean, it was spectacular. And then he took us over to the pool room, walked down into this pool area. It was all glassed in. There were palm trees next to the pool. He pressed a button and the whole roof just collapsed off to the side. It was unbelievable. And then I couldn't believe the next part. He's giving us a tour of course, he shows us to our bedrooms. We each had our own room. I think our tour managers actually slept in a heart-shaped bed. I mean, this was, this was outrageous. Um, but he takes us, listen to this, he takes us into the family safe. Now, in our home, we have a safe. It's about this big, right? Because we don't have a whole lot to put in the safe. Um, he had a whole room to keep his valuables safe. And he takes us into this room, and he starts showing us all of his wife's jewelry. And he opens these cabinets, and he takes this jewelry out, these gems. I mean, have you ever seen, like, the necklaces that the celebrities wear at the Academy Awards? This is the kind of stuff he was showing us, just this outrageous wealth. It was unbelievable. And he starts describing the rarity of all these jewels and, and whatnot. And we're all just mind blown and at the same time going, why are you showing all of this? You know, this is just weird. 
And while we're in the safe looking at this jewelry, he says to us, listen, I want you guys to understand something. The Lord has given me the gift of making money. And he said, everything I touch turns to gold. But the Lord has blessed me with the gift of making money because I purpose in my heart to be as generous as I possibly could. And I give money away to ministries all over the world. In fact, he said, the little church that you sang in tonight, I built that church. I donated all the money for that church because this is a poor little community. They could never build a church, and so I gave all the money to build this church. He said, I support missionaries and missions organizations all over the world, and he said, the more I give away, the, Lord, the more the Lord blesses me with. And then he said this. I thought this was really interesting. He said, some of my church friends really criticize us for the, the, the jewelry and the wealth and the opulent living, but he said, listen, we run in wealthy circles and I do business with millionaires and billionaires around the world. He said, we have to dress the part or they don't take us seriously. So all of this jewelry that I just showed you, it's not, it's not for our benefit, it's a business expense so that we can make more money so we can continue to fund the kingdom of God. Crazy, right? I've never had an experience like that since then. Only time I've ever seen this. But as I've been reflecting on that this week, it has made me ask myself the question, what is my threshold for generous giving? I'm just asking myself this question. What is my threshold for generous giving? How wealthy do I need to be before I will begin to be outrageously generous? I'm kind of taking some inventory of my own life, and I want to invite you to join me in that inventory today. You know, God is a generous giver. You know this, right? Let me give you some examples. We're going to start in John 3.16 this morning. John 3.16. A lot of us could probably quote this. You don't have to. It's up on the screen. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever noticed that the central word in that verse is the word gave? It's a tiny little word. And a lot of times when we use this verse, we're focused on the eternal life part. And we forget that what this is telling us is that God is a generous giver. In fact, the verse tells us what he gave. What did he give? His, just his son? His he didn't have a spare. He gave it all. The whole thing. That's how generous God is. And another thing that I think we overlook sometimes is, is that word eternal. It says if we believe in him, we have eternal life. That, that word eternal in the Greek language is the word ionios which means without beginning or ending. We tend to think that this verse says that if you believe in Jesus, you're gonna to go to heaven when you die. What it's actually saying is when you believe in Jesus, you access eternal life right now. You enter in to this beautiful life of the kingdom that has no beginning and no end. You are in eternal life right now if you have put your trust in Jesus. That's great news, don't you think so? 
And that eternal life that Jesus talks about is also the life that he describes in John 10.10, where he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came so that they would have life and have it, say it with me, abundantly. Eternal life is abundant life, and it's available for you and me right now. This life is a gift. Nothing you can do can earn eternal life, abundant life. Nothing you can work to achieve will access this life. It's God's generosity being poured out on your life because of his son, Jesus, that he gave freely. What I want you to remember today more than anything else is that God is a giver. God is a giver. Let me take you to one more verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians 8 later on, but I just want to give you a preview of where we're going. This verse says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You might need to look at that a time or two and read through it a couple times before it really sinks in that Jesus himself gave it all so that those of us who were living in abject poverty could become rich with Jesus's riches. And I highlighted that word grace because that word is the Greek word charis. And that word can be translated grace or it can be translated gift. It's another Greek word for the word gift. And when that word is used as a verb, it means to give a gift. And it's also the word that is used when the Bible talks about forgiveness. So forgiveness is the giving of the gift of grace. And Jesus gives us his riches in exchange for our poverty. God is a giver. I'm wondering if you've ever received grace as a gift. I mean, not just from Jesus. Have you ever received it from a person? Um, a, a few few years ago, this goes back a little ways, but a few years ago, we had a connector who had um, who who had left our, our church fellowship and, and, and I wasn't able to get hold of her or anything. And one day I was scrolling through my social media feeds and here I find that she has posted this rant on, on social media about how awful churches were in Bozeman. And I took offense like this, I took offense. Now listen, I know that you're never supposed to wade into conflict through texts or email or social media. Terrible idea, right? I know this. And I know it from bad experience and doing it the wrong way. But this particular day, she pissed me off and I wrote this rant. I used scripture. Boy, I was scorching. And I hit send before I prayed about it or ran it by my wife, both of which things would, be, would have been wise. <laughs> and I felt really justified in rebuking this person that was bringing division to the church. And I get a message back from her husband who says, Pastor Russ, she was not talking about connect. You have hurt my wife's heart, and now she's in the bedroom with the door locked, and she's inconsolable, weeping and crying, and I don't know what to do. And immediately, as soon as I heard from him, I'm like, oh, crap, I really blew it, right? So I called him up and, and 
Thankfully, her husband took my phone call and eventually she talked to me and I apologized over and over and over. And I will never forget the Sunday that they both walked through those doors and came back to church and gave me a big hug. And do you know what? They just became dear friends. They gave me the gift of grace. And um, they moved to Texas a few months ago, so they're no longer here. But I love them with all my heart. And every time I saw her, I would think about the grace that she extended me. And you know what's beautiful about it? Is it helped me understand God's grace a little bit deeper because I had experienced grace from a human being. What a good thing. I hope you've experienced grace from a human being like I have. Because God loves to give. He loves to extend grace. He loves to forgive. God is a giver. And that's what this message series has been about. This is our last message in this series that we've called Plenty. Actually, I'm not sure yet, but next week I might have a bonus message. I haven't decided yet. You can pray for me about that. You might be done, or there might be more. I'm not sure. But when I talk about plenty, when I talk about abundant life and that God is a giver, you know, the question we all have is, does that mean that life is just all rainbows and unicorns 24-7? The answer is no. If you weren't with us last Sunday, don't miss the podcast. Kelly taught last week about the, the, the problem of pain and the reality that when we go through pain in our lives, God gives us plenty of his, do you remember? Presence. Even when we're in difficult times, God is pouring out abundant life on us in, in the form of his presence. And if you missed that message, it was stunning. It was probably the best message I've ever heard on the problem of pain. So I hope you'll listen to it if you weren't with us. But my goal in this message series has been to help all of us develop a mindset of plenty. A mindset of plenty. And, and the reason this is important is because a lot of us, if not most of us, most of the time live with a mindset of scarcity. You can have a mindset of plenty or you can have a mindset of scarcity. And this has been true from the beginning. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of humanity, we've struggled with the mindset of scarcity. Here, take a look. I want to take you to Luke chapter 12. We were in Luke chapter 12 a few weeks ago, but I'm, I'm rewinding the tape a little bit in the, in the account. Jesus is teaching. There's a big crowd, and, and all of a sudden, Luke chapter 12 verse 13 says, somebody called from the crowd to Jesus, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, that sounds a little familiar to me because we've created a culture here at Connect where people shout out from the crowd quite frequently. In fact, um, those of you that have ever needed me to make an announcement or something, you know I always tell you if I forget, yell at me or throw something at me. So we have this culture, but listen, nobody has ever yelled out from the crowd at Connect, Pastor Russ, tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me, okay? That would be super awkward, you know? In fact, I've been trying to figure out what I would say. Could you just text that into the app and we'll see what we can, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus is quick and Jesus is sharp. And, and he says this. 
he, he, he says, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide things like that? That's snarky Jesus. I like snarky Jesus. That's what I would have to say. Not that app thing, right, no. But then Jesus immediately goes into teaching mode because Jesus is so smart and he, he doesn't miss a teaching moment. And he says this, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured by how much you own. Man, I look back on that experience in the oil fields of Texas and I think, man, wouldn't it be nice if I had a house big enough for a grand piano that would be dwarfed in the room? Wouldn't it be nice if I had a swimming pool? I mean, don't we measure ourselves by the things that we see other people owning? Jesus said, that's not what the measurement of life is. And he says, guard yourself against every form of greed. What we see here is that while God is a giver, we gravitate to greed. You and I gravitate to greed. If you don't believe me, Think about the last time you went to a concert where there weren't assigned seats. Did you see everybody rush in and elbow each other out to get the seats right in the middle and up close to the front? Or, or even the movie theater? I, mean, I love now that movie theaters have assigned seats. That's awesome for me because I was the one that was always getting there early, driving my family crazy because I want to get the best seats right in the middle of the theater. Or are you old enough to remember when, when Black Friday was was? You know, those days where you would go out and you'd camp out at Target the night before and you had to get, because you had to get the newest video game. People died <laughs> over video games. I'm not joking. You might be too young to remember. Listen, we gravitate to greed. Jesus says, be on your guard. And then he goes on and he tells a parable in the next paragraph about this rich man. He was a farmer and it produced lots of crops. He had lots of stuff and he began to store all of his crops into barns. And when the barns got too full, he tore down the barns and he built bigger barns and he just kept stuffing stuff in, stuffing stuff in and, and, and hanging on to all this stuff. And at some point he put his feet up and he said, listen, I'm just going to relax and sit back and eat, drink and be merry because I have done all of this. And Jesus said, that night, that man died. And Jesus says, and who's going to get all of his stuff? I remember when my, my mom's a collector. Remember the first time my wife said, oh, Sharon, it's all going to burn. My, my poor mom's like, hur, hur. that's what Jesus is saying. All your stuff is going to burn. Jesus ends with this. Yes, a person is a fool. Say the word fool. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. There's what's important. And then we get to this part that we, we read a few weeks ago. Then Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. Ponder 
The rave, anybody been pondering the ravens since we taught on this? They're cool, right? They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? And then he talks about the lilies and how beautifully they're clothed. And it's all God who gives the the flowers of the field these beautiful clothes. And then he wraps up with this, verse 29. And don't be concerned about what to eat and drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. And there it is again, the word give. God is a giver. But unfortunately, Humans gravitate to greed. It's a conundrum. Now, I can hear you saying already, but Pastor Russ, that sentence started with a but. It's a really big but. But, Pastor Russ, shouldn't we save for a rainy day? Shouldn't we save some money? Is, Pastor Russ, is it really greedy to store provisions in our barns? In 21st century language, the barns are bank accounts and CDs and investment accounts, right? Is that really greedy? Because I need to make sure that I'm storing enough so that when there's a need in the future that I will have plenty. Is it really greedy, Pastor Russ? And you could argue from the book of Proverbs that it is actually wise to save. Here's a verse from the book of Proverbs. It says, be sensible and store up precious treasures. Don't waste them like a fool. That sounds like wisdom, doesn't it? Is it wisdom or does it move us to greed? You see, there's a difference between wisdom and greed. Let me differentiate a little between those two things. Wisdom would be working hard and saving for a future need. Greed would be working hard for the sole purpose of enriching yourself. Do you hear the difference? It's it's wise to put some money away. But if it's just so that you're going to be rich and have something to show off, that crosses into greed. Wisdom, according to the Bible, is sharing your abundance with others. Greed is spending everything you have on yourself. Let me read you another verse from the book of Proverbs that I think gives us some balance. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I want you to think about this. Rich people aren't the only greedy people. I've known lots of poor people who are greedy, 
and they're just focused on themselves and they share nothing with other people. And here's another thing that I think is true. Rich people aren't the only generous people. In fact, some of the most generous people I know are people who live very, very simply and they just give it all away. And we have to ask ourselves that question. What is my threshold for becoming a generous giver? Here's a couple of things you can jot down if you're taking notes. The best strategy for combating greed is giving. And the best strategy for kingdom living is kingdom giving. After all, God is a giver. And doesn't it stand to reason that he would want his kingdom people to be kingdom givers as well? Now, you might be asking yourself, what does this look like? Pastor Russ, give me an example. I'm so glad you asked. I feel awkward. Kelly and I have this, we have this thing um, between us. I like to sit sometimes when I'm teaching, and Kelly likes to stand, and I forgot to grab my chair, and I'm dying to sit down, so forgive me while I do this. Those of you on Facebook, I'm so glad you're with us. Sorry that I disappeared off your screen for a second. I, I want to I tell you... I want to tell you a story about a group of givers in the New Testament that lived in the country of Macedonia. It's an example of generosity that took everybody by surprise. Really cool story, and, and, and you may never have noticed this story in the Bible before. It's easy to just, just run past this um, sometimes when you're reading. There, the backstory to the Macedonians' generosity is found in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. And and you could read this later. I'm not going to read it all for you. But what's happening is the Apostle Paul is traveling to all the churches in Asia that he has already planted, and he's collecting an offering for some Christians in Jerusalem. These Christians in Jerusalem were living in grinding poverty, probably because of the persecution of the Jewish community in Jerusalem and probably also from the Roman government. Many of them had been killed. Many of them had been put in prison. They had been overtaxed. The government had seized their property. And these were people that were living on the edge. And so Paul was traveling to the churches in Asia and collecting an offering for these very, very poor Christians in Jerusalem. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul to this church in Corinth. He tells them to get ready for this offering by setting aside some Monday, some money every Sunday and keeping that in a safe place so that when he gets to Corinth, he can collect this money and take it to Jerusalem. You with me? A year or so later, he writes a follow-up letter, and it's in your Bible. We call it 2 Corinthians, but it's a follow-up letter to his earlier letter. Okay, now I said all that to set up. Now I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You don't have to turn there in your Bibles unless you want to. Just just listen to this story. It's, It's awesome. Paul says, now, friends... I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. 
and the trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians in Jerusalem. Getting the picture? This is a spiritual principle that the Macedonians had stumbled upon. When you face financial shortages, your best strategy is to give more. It's completely counterintuitive, but it's a spiritual principle that has been proven time and time again. Bill Johnson talks about at Bethel Church in Redding, California, He'll talk about when, when they have faced huge financial pressures in their church, and this is a mega church, okay? When they have faced huge financial challenges and they've been faced with the prospect of having to lay off staff, the decision they've, they've made is to give a generous offering to, to missionaries somewhere in the world. Because the best strategy in financial hardship is to give more, not to give less. We did this a couple of years ago here at Connect. We were facing a big budget shortfall and we, we went through our budget, and we were, were analyzing everything, and we realized that we were not giving as much money to missions as we thought we needed to be. So instead of pulling back, we sent a check for $10,000 to church planters in Montana. Because we believe that this principle is not just biblical, but we believe that it works. And listen, we haven't had to lay off staff yet. God has been faithful, because this is a, a, a true principle. And this is what the Christians in Macedonia did. Now, Here's, here's what's incredible. Paul hadn't taught them this. Let's keep reading. I'm, I'm in verse 5. This giving by the Macedonians was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and then to us. Their other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. And that's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention, Corinthians, so that what was so well begun could be finished up. You do so well in so many things. You trust God. You're articulate. You're insightful. You're passionate. You love us. Now, do your best in this giving too. Then I love this verse. I'm not trying to order you around against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I am hoping to bring the best out of you. And then there's this verse that I read to you earlier. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. Jesus was the first one to just give it all away. Why? So that we could be enriched. Something I hadn't thought about before until we were visiting in our teaching team this week. This isn't just talking about a spiritual truth that Jesus gave himself spiritually. There's evidence in the scripture that Jesus was actually wealthy At the crucifixion, the guards were 
gambling, trying to get his clothing because it was such high quality and so desirable. He was supported by some wealthy, wealthy businesswomen. So physically, as well as spiritually, Jesus gave it all up so that you and I could be made rich. Now, all of 2 Corinthians 8 and all of 9, it's such a good read, but I just want to read a few more verses from chapter 9. Paul says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. We've got some farmers here at Connect. We've got a bunch of gardeners here at Connect, right? I, I grow a few things in our yard, tomatoes and some flowers and whatnot. And, and one of the things I know is if you plant seeds, you know that after they all come up, they tell you you have to thin the seeds, right? I will tell you in about a decade of planting seeds in our garden, I never can bring myself to thin. Why? Because I'm greedy. And I think if I pull them out, I'm going to get less. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a... There, do you see the spiritual principle that's here? I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over, Paul says, and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. One, one version says God loves hilarious giving. I've been to churches where everybody applauds when they take the offering because they've learned that giving is really, really a joy. And just before I read this last paragraph, let me ask this question. What if I've been burned by giving? I've been around long enough to know that there are some people who have had bad experiences by giving. You've been a part of a church that spent money irresponsibly. Or you've welcomed somebody into your home and they've stolen stuff from you. Or you've been generous with a good friend and they've turned around and stabbed you in the back. It's really easy if you've been hurt through the practice of giving to become jaded and bitter. But here's how I want to encourage you. Those experiences of people doing bad things don't change the truth of who God is. And when we give, it's got to be because we are a reflection of the nature of God. I give because God is a giver. Here's how Paul wraps this up. Paul says, This most generous God, who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals, is more than extravagant with you. Oh my gosh, that just makes me want to relax into his arms. He gives you something you can then give away. And that gift grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, 
producing with us great praise to God. What's the promise? When you give, when you bless somebody with your gift, you are investing in another human life that's going to become a mature Christian and God's gonna bless you with more so you can do it again and again and again and again. Now, God doesn't take away free will. So the person you give something to might, I don't know. I mean, we all struggle with, with giving to homeless people, right? Because what do we all say? They're just going to spend it on drugs. <laughs> are you giving to, are you, are, who are you giving to? The least. We're giving to the least of these and we're giving because God is a giver. Okay, now I want to share this with you and I've, I've struggled with this a little bit because I want to tell you my personal experience. And, and I don't talk about this very often. But like Paul was trying to stimulate the, the, the Corinthians to give because of the Macedonians' generosity, I, I want to try to stimulate your generosity with my experience. Is that okay? When Chris and I were first married, we were poor. Man, we were dirt poor. Chris hadn't really started her career yet. She was working as a, at a, as a greeter at a, a Ford dealership. Um, I was a staff member on a church that didn't have very much money. I, we were poor. But when we were combining our, our two single lives into one life, one of, the thing, one of the things we did is we created a budget. And one of the things that we did as we created a budget is we had a long conversation about our, our, how generous are we going to be. And again, did I mention we were poor? And Chris and I made the agreement that we were going to be tithers, meaning we were going to give 10% of our gross income to our church. That was going to be non-negotiable, 10% every, every month we would write a check for 10%. Sometimes it was hard. But in addition to that, we decided we wanted to be strategic growers in giving. And so we decided to give a percentage above our tithe to whoever we wanted to bless. And, and we would sit down with our, with our finances every month and we would decide, I think we started, Chris, I don't know if you remember, I think we started at like 2.5% or something over and above the 10%. So we were giving a total of 12.5%. And so we would sit down and we would figure out what that 2.5% was, you know, all 75 cents. And... Um, <laughs> And we would decide who we're going to give it to. And we just did that consistently month after month after month. And then every year, we made this strategic decision to bump it up another half of a percent. So that within 10 years, we had started to give not just our tithe, but an additional 5, 6, 7 percent, whatever the numbers worked out to be. Every year, we just gave a little bit more. And it was strategic. And we just, we just bumped it up. Every 12 months, we just bumped it up because the reality was a half a percent, we didn't really miss it. 
And so we just learned to adjust, and, and God just kept blessing us and giving us more. Chris gets a great job. She's making, I, I mean, I just, I have no words to tell you how blessed we've been over our lifetime, and we've just tried to give more and more and more. At some point, we abandoned the idea of, of the percentage thing, and we just made the agreement that every time there's an offering for anything, we're going to give. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit in the moment, how much should I give? And every year when we do taxes, Chris keeps our, our books at home. Every year when we do taxes, we put in that number on our tax form, and I look at that number, and I'm going, holy crap, Chris, do we really give that much money? And the answer is yes, because we have made it a habit of giving more and more and more and more for 29 years, and the Lord has continued to bless us with more so that we could give more. Not so that we could be wealthy, not so that we could be show-offs. And, and here, I, I'm nervous even sharing this with you because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. I'm not bragging for us. I'm just telling you what God did for us, okay? And I don't talk about this very often because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. I want you to know this is a spiritual principle that works, I was coming into the auditorium this morning from back in the prayer room and somebody stopped me in the hall. And they said, Russ, I have to talk to you right now. And she said, I have loved this message series on plenty and I have to tell you what happened. Gave and, and then all this money came in and then we had this miracle and she just, just all this stuff just rolling out. Because she's experiencing the truth of what happens when you just obey the Lord with the call to be a giver instead of being greedy. We gravitate to greed, but listen, that gravitational pull is not irresistible. Let's be like God instead of being greedy. Good stuff? Okay, I want to wrap up with this. I want to tell you today, and this is why we're passing the baskets at the end. I want to tell you, um, I want to give you some giving opportunities today. And I've got a whole bunch of them. And then I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to give. I'm not going to tell you what to give. I'm not going to tell you I have any goals. Because what we just learned about Paul and the Macedonians is he just put the need out there and then waited for God to speak, Okay. So here's some opportunities for giving today. If you're not yet a tither, meaning you give 10% of, of your income to the church, you could start with that and that would be great and you'll be so blessed by that, that spiritual practice. Um, Connect has a fund for needy families. And if you want to contribute to that fund, uh, we, we use all the money that's given to bless people who have financial needs. Sometimes people can't pay their rent. Sometimes people need um, uh, an appliance repaired. Sometimes people are hungry, whatever. All the money in that fund always goes to people in need no matter what. And, and you can mark that on your giving envelope or there's a pull-down menu in a church center for families in need. I shared with you a couple of months ago that the Lord has spoken to me 
about paying off our mortgage and being debt-free. Okay, we've got a, a small group of people that are giving to that fund every month. And again, there's a pull-down menu if you give online. Uh, the Lord has promised me we're going to pay off that mortgage. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm not going to put a thermometer in the corner. We're not doing any of that. Okay, I just know this is something God is going to bring. Okay, our kids are going to camp this summer, and we need a bunch of camp scholarships. Okay, you could give to kids. Uh, JD, what did you say? Two hundred and ten. $210 um, to sponsor one kid to camp. Um, last week, Kelsey Slingsby shared, okay? And if you weren't here, she's a connector who's going on a long-term mission assignment with Chi Alpha. You could support her. Next week, Colton Holdorf will be sharing. He's another Chi Alpha young person who's going to a different ministry. He's another Connect Church missionary. How awesome is it that we have our own missionaries from our own church, okay? And, and we need to fund those missions, okay? And then the last thing I want to invite you to do today, and actually I am going to do a little arm twisting here. Forgive me. We have a couple of ministry team leaders who have served here at Connect for a very long time, and they have done a great job, and for different reasons, they are stepping out of these leadership roles. And I want to honor them with a very generous offering today. Um, those leaders are Tina Dykstra. Let me tell you a little bit about Tina. That, that was kind of a weak hand clap, because some of you, thank you, Zeke, that's awesome. Tina has been our bookkeeper for 10 years. 10 years. And Tina has served Connect Church sacrificially. Uh, when we were looking for a bookkeeper 10 years ago, um, I knew I wanted Tina on our team, but I didn't believe we could afford her because we, we were poor. Have I mentioned being poor before? Um, we had no money to pay a bookkeeper. I didn't even ask her if she would serve. And um, actually, I think it was her dad said, Tina wants the job. Would you please talk to Tina? And over the 10 years that Tina has served, she has gotten us in such good shape. Everything is beautiful. We always know where the money is. The bills are always paid. Everything is tip-top. And she has never asked us to pay her what she is worth. In ten, This has been her gift to Connect Church to just serve us. And she came to me a couple of months ago and said, it's time for me to, to step aside for some, some personal reasons. And I think, connectors, we owe it to the Lord to bless Tina generously with a generous offering, okay? So I want to invite you to do that. And then also, Roger and Diane Rembold, right over here. Wave at us, Roger and Diane. Roger and Diane have been the leaders of our mission ministries. Do you remember when you started? 2017, so six years. And Diane reminded me, she came to me, actually she invited me over to lunch, Diane and Roger invited me over to lunch, and she said, I told you when I started, I would do this job until I was 70, and guess what, I just turned 70. So they're stepping out of this leadership role um, 
to go into other things in their retirement. And, and let me tell you, they have served tirelessly. They have worked hard, and, and their heart is huge. Um, Diane has shared with me before that, that when she was growing up, she never really knew if there would be enough food to eat. She grew up hungry. And so this is why she has a passion for fork and spoon and for uh, the, the kids' programs and, and backpacks and snacks for the kids in the schools. Um, she wants to make sure nobody ever goes hungry. I love your heart, Diane, and we're going to miss you in this leadership role. They're still going to be serving with the team, but they're no longer going to be leading. And again, we don't have money to pay them for the hours they work, and so I want to ask you to give generously. There's one fund in your pull-down menu that just says appreciation, okay? So I would like to ask you to give for that fund, or if you're giving it an offering, just mark on your envelope appreciation, and then we'll split that up between Rembolds and, and Tina, okay? And uh, I want to invite you to give that way. And I also think we should pray for these precious leaders. Um, I'm going to call you out. Why not? Come on up here, you guys. Some of you leaders, come join me. We're going to pray for these leaders, these servant leaders. Can I hold your hand? Can I hold your hand? Lord Jesus, whenever, whenever we have people that move away or we have people that step out of leadership, I always have the same prayer on my heart. And it's the prayer, um, Lord, thank you for giving gifts to the church. Ephesians chapter four says you give gifts of leadership to the church. Tina and Diane and Roger have been some of the best gifts you could have ever given Connect. Just, you're, you're just generous beyond description. You have blessed us. And now today, Lord, we want to pray that you will bless them. I, I want to pray, Lord, as they move into new seasons in which they, they, I know all three of these people need rest. I want to pray for rest in Jesus' name. That, Lord, as, as they step away from the responsibilities of leadership, not that they would fill it up with other stuff, but they will take a season, whatever, whatever time frame that is, to rest and to sit back into the presence of God and enjoy your abundance. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for these three leaders. And, and Jesus, as Connect moves into the future and we have new leaders stepping in, Lord, we just pray that you will continue to bless us in the same vein that you blessed us through Tina and Roger and Diane. And Jesus, we pray abundance. We pray plenty. We pray uh, eternal life with no beginning and no end on these leaders. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everybody say amen. 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 Okay, give them a good round of applause. Love you so much.
And just so you know who to harass regarding your giving, um, our new bookkeeper is Ira Slingsby. He's right in the back with his baby. So say hello to Ira. Tina left really big shoes to fill. Tall shoes, as it turns out. She likes high heels. And so Ira's going to do a great job. I'm really confident. OK, here's what we're going to do. No arm twisting, no sob stories. I just want you to ask Holy Spirit, what do you want me to give today? Um, before church even started, Chris had given to the appreciation fund, okay? Because uh, we give every time there's an opportunity. Um, I hope you will give something. Ask Holy Spirit what it is. There's offering envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you. We'll pass the baskets in a couple of minutes. Um, and of course, the pull-down menus in the app, easy to give. Um, the worship team's gonna lead us in a worship song. Why don't you just take this opportunity to talk to Holy Spirit, let him talk to you, and then we'll pass the baskets in a minute. But why don't you lead us in worship while we just sit in his presence. Your name. 
today and uh, you are not yet walking with Jesus and you haven't stepped into eternal life, abundant life, the life of walking with Jesus, I would love to pray with you this morning and uh, we're just going to do it like this. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer and we're all going to repeat it together, okay? And if you need to step into eternal life, you pray this from the depth of your heart along with all of us this morning. Ready? Everybody pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for giving your only son, giving his riches so that my poverty could be made rich. Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today. Forgive me of all the junk in my past, sin, mistakes, rebellions. I lay it all down, and I'm turning into following you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And Jesus, now today, as we give, here's what I want to pray. And not selfishly but for the benefit and blessing of people here and around the world. I want to pray, Jesus, that as we give, 
you will multiply every gift. Lord, I pray that just somehow you will, you will bring resources as a blessing and you will smile on us, you will multiply and, and we'll just see what you're at work at in kingdom giving so that we can give more and more and more and we can bless more and more people. And Jesus, I, I, I just call upon you to be faithful to the clear teaching of your word that when we give, you give more so that we can continue to, it's, it's a ripple effect. Make us rich, Jesus in every way so that we can richly give. Not to be greedy. Man, we want to turn away from greed in every form. But Jesus, help us to be rich in giving, regardless of where we... Today, I think collectively, we're all saying our threshold for giving generously is right where I am today. That's the threshold. I'm going to give generously, starting right where I am. I'm going to watch you work, because you're awesome, God. In Jesus' name.